Well, um, this morning's message is, um, is about a life encounter. Um, I had a life encounter with the living Savior Jesus Christ almost 31 years ago. It was September 10th, 1979. I remember it almost like it was yesterday. And today isn't about my story. It's about another man's story. Maybe I'll get a chance to tell you that story sometime. But today is a story about a man who has a life-changing encounter. He meets Jesus, and, uh, and it changes his life dramatically. It changes his life forever. And I pray and I trust that, that somewhere along the road that you're going, that you experience that same kind of life-changing encounter, that it, that it really impacts you for all eternity. Um, can we go to the first slide there? Um, that's kind of an ancient biblical <laughs> picture there, isn't it? Um, this story unfolds. It's found in John chapter 9. It's 41 verses, and it unfolds like a three-act play. The first act is the incident. In the first 12 verses of John chapter 9, there's this situation that unfolds. It's described in the first 12 verses about this man that Jesus runs across and and brings about a transformation in his life. So let's go ahead and and look at that. This is a cool story, too. It has all the elements of a great story. It has drama and it has tension. It has a hero. It has kind of a goat or some goats... um, it has a happy ending. That's an important aspect in a story for my wife. We don't go see movies that don't have happy endings. So this story has a happy ending, at least for most of the people. And so it has all the, all the great elements of a terrific story. And it begins here in verse 1. And why don't you just read along with me? It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. I want to pause and just make a couple of comments and observations about this. First, in verse 1, it talks about Jesus walking along. I'm so glad this incident didn't happen in church. I'm so glad this verse doesn't start while they were sitting in church. Or it doesn't happen while they went to a conference on healing, while he went to the conference. It wasn't some event that this man planned where he went there someplace and had this great expectation. It just happened like while Jesus was walking along. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that life, we all know, happens as we're going along. Physically, life just unfolds. Spiritually, life unfolds as we're walking along. It's a very natural thing. Most close encounters that we're going to experience are not going to be event-based. We're not going to you know, build up the drama, go, and then experience this big thing. It's going to happen just as we're kind of going along. I know that's true in my story. I bet you it's true in most of your stories where, you know, you're just kind of fat, dumb, and happy, and boom, you know, God just spoke something. God just did something. And you go, you know, wow, that's what happened with this guy. Things, you know, life just happened while it was going along. And then in this second and third verse, I just want to put this into context so we understand culturally what's happening here. When, when they talk about Rabbi, his disciples said, who was this man... Now, why was he born blind? Was it because of his own sins or was it the sins of his parents? You know, uh, that's kind of confusing in, in our times here. But if you understand Jewish culture and Jewish history, um, there was a cause and effect. There's kind of a cause and effect mentality. They believed that um, inf- um, infirmities, that suffering was caused by something that you did. So th- their, their question here is kind of obvious. 
by saying, well, well who sinned? Why was this guy blind? What, what was, what's connected to that? And, uh, and Jesus goes on to illustrate both to them and to us today that it's not a cause-effect and effect relationship. Um, he, he used the story, in fact, to teach about faith, and he uses the story to teach about how to glorify God. And uh, I guess the, the thing that I think is important for us to see here is that we recognize that we live in a fallen world. I know many of you have experienced just terrible suffering and calamity in your lives. And, uh, and life doesn't always work out that when you're good, your behavior is rewarded for being good, and when you're not so good, you're, you're rewarded accordingly like that, the, the naughty and nice. It, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And so as a result, we, we oftentimes see that innocent people suffer. The, the thing, I, the takeaway from this, I think, that is important is that we start to recognize that regardless of the circumstances, God's eternal perma, purposes are served. Uh, however he works, however that works about, and I can't explain that in this man, uh, will give us some illustrations there, doesn't always make sense in my natural mind. But one thing I do know is that God's eternal purposes will always be served regardless of the outward condition. So in verse 4 here, um, right at the end, it says, uh, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by the one who sent us. The night is coming and Jesus goes on. And there's this exhortation, this, this idea that we have a sense of responsibility. We have a responsibility for kingdom business. If we truly are found in followers of, of Christ, then we have some sense of responsibility to carry out that which the Father is doing. Jesus understood that as his mission and his responsibility. And he's trying to illustrate it to us here and that we're also to have some sense of urgency. It's not at our own convenience. It's really, it's really with living with a sense of purpose. And, and we're going to get a chance to talk about that a little bit next week. So um, then, then it goes on, and this is kind of a, an important aspect of the story. We probably remember it well. Then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And then he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. And uh, so the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is kind of the, one of the highlights of the story. Can we go to the next slide? The point I want to make here is uh, methods here don't make miracles. You know, we, we see this tremendous uh, miracle happen. Jesus spits on some mud, and he makes some clay, and he rubs it on this guy's eyes, and then he sends him off to wash. And uh, in our Western mind, if it was me, the, the picture of the cement truck is, I would want to franchise that method. You see, I would want to say, oh, that's the way blind people get healed. So let's do that. Let's make up a, a truckload of mud, and let's invite everybody to come and let's put mud on everybody's eyes and then we'll go tell them to wash. But it doesn't work, does it? You see, because it's not about the method. It's about the message. It's about the person who is, who is, who is involved with that. Um, the Bible gives us some other illustrations of that in, 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 Mark, in uh, Mark's gospel in chapter 8. I think it's chapter 8. Jesus heals... Um, a blind man by um, just spitting in his eye. It says he took some spittle, his own saliva, and rubbed it on the man's eyes. And the man instantly saw. In, uh, in Matthew's gospel, I think it's chapter 9, Jesus heals two men who are blind. Um, and, and in that process, he, he again, he um, just touches their eyes. He just walks up to them and touches their eyes and bang, they see. No washing, no spitting, no, you know, it was a little bit more sanitary, that, that one. 
the reality is, is um, we sometimes make God way too small in the methodologies that he's going to use to really transform people's lives. And, and the second that we do that, the second we try to put God into this formula, we oftentimes miss the very encounter that he wants to have us experience. Why? Because we make God too small. He's not going to be restricted to that. So I, I don't want us to get lost on the methods here. As dramatic as this was, um, I would suggest to you that if you, haven't, if you run across somebody today who's not seeing too well, um, to not try this at home. God's not going to be reduced to a formula. Um, what's kind of cool here, can we go on to the next slide? As we read this, um, um, well, in verse 7, I'm going to pause. Just one more, one more comment in verse 7. And that is... Uh, the line says, so the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. <clears throat> I like this guy. He had both a practical response and a faithful response. His practical response was he went to the pool to wash. Why? <laughs> because he had mud all over his face. I mean, his eyes are dripping with mud and water and, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. So a practical response to go to the pool is to just clean his face up. But the faithful response of the man was what's really powerful here is because he simply did what he was instructed to do. And that was a tremendous step of faith that he had to take. Christ said, go wash. And so what did the guy do? Well, he, he did it. He, he just obeyed. That's one of the, probably the most powerful under, undertones of this whole story is how this guy just simply responds. He, he didn't let his brain engage. He didn't have to rationalize it. Well, what happens? And what's the next steps? And what's the 14 outline process to, to do the next thing? He just simply obeyed Christ. And guess what? His life was changed miraculously. It was transformed like um, he had never experienced before. And so I think the lesson for us is this, that we learn that our response to the things that God is doing amongst us and, and in our lives is vital. How we respond, how we obey, how we um, react to what God wants to do is critical in this, in this whole business of how we encounter him, how we experience him, how we live it out. So, well, let's go on with the story. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? Some said that he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, hey, yes, it's me. I'm the one. They asked him, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I think this last response of the man, I don't know, is one of the most profound things that is written in the, in the Bible. And here's why. So oftentimes, our logic and our minds get so engaged with that we need to understand all the reasonings we have to have, all the practical applications. We have to have everything figured out. We have to have all our ducks in a row before we respond or do anything. But you know what? That's not true. It's the life-changing reality of Christ that makes the difference, not our explanations. It's not our words or understanding. God's not limited to that. So this guy responded just so authentically. He just said, you know what? I don't know where he is. Part of us walking as friends with faith is this simple ability to describe what happened to us. I, was, I couldn't see, but 
uh, this guy put mud on my eyes. I washed, and, and now I could see. For me, it was I was spiritually um, off course. I was lost as a goose. Christ came into my life, and bang, my life was changed. How did that happen? You know what? I don't know. Just like this guy. I, you know, I don't know. There was this man called Jesus. So I want you to understand that we can be released from having to know all those things in order to just walk as a friend with faith. And that's an important aspect of this. See, this guy's life was changed. It was transformed. Can you imagine his, his physical and, and probably his emotional and his outward countenance, his expression? Um, we tend to gloss over that as we sit here and, and we read that, but it was changed dramatically. Do you think this guy had an attitude adjustment after he, after he got his vision? I mean, can you imagine being blind from birth, never seeing what the sky looks like, never seeing what a tree looks like, never identifying the, the, the features of the people that were surrounding you or the, even the dust on the, on the ground, never fully being able to process that and experience that. And yet instantaneously then this guy had had the, the ability to see that when, when his vision was restored. You know, in a blink of an eye, this, this whole new story unfolds in this guy's life simply because he got his vision. And it's quite a testimony, isn't it? Yet, as we're seeing here unfold, um, it's almost unbelievable for most of the people that he's trying to, to, to share it with. Um, you know, there was a number of years ago, my, uh, you remember when LASIK surgery just became popular? Shows you how old I am. Um, you know, laser surgery where, you know, you have glass. I have terrible vision. Um, I, I couldn't, um, I was blind as a bat. I couldn't see my alarm clock on the nightstand from bed. I, I, I was so visually impaired. And so my brother-in-law, uh, who was a tr just a tremendously generous human being, as a gift, gave me the gift of LASIK surgery. And so I went and, and, um, and, and got the procedure. And uh, man, it, it changed my life. I'll never forget the day I went to sit down in the chair before they did the procedure. And the doctor says, well, what time is it? And I said, I don't know. He says, well, there's a clock on the wall. And I said, I can't even see the wall. I mean, it was just this big blur. When the procedure was finished, I'll never forget, he asked me what time it was. And as I sat up, I said, it's 426. And it was the first time I had seen without corrective lenses in, uh, in over 20 years. Now, I'm not trying to equate that to this guy's, um, his experience. But I saw life in a whole different light. My countenance was changed. Boy, when I, I called my wife, honey, you, you won't believe this. This was a miracle kind of thing. Well, then recently I had another, um, I had another situation with my vision just right before Thanksgiving last year, um, I had a detached retina. And I know some of you have suffered from that as well. It's, um, I was actually coming to church. I was on my way <laughs> someplace to church. I was coming to church. And all of a sudden, this black curtain just came across my right eye, just like that bang. And uh, the retina was detaching. And so um, God didn't use mud. I, there wasn't a healing service that day. I did have people pray for me. But God used a surgeon to correct, my, to, to correct that situation. And, and uh, I have a new um, compassion for people who go through situations like that because the, the healing process entailed they put a gas bubble in the back of your eye that creates pressure that keeps the retina attached to the back portion of your eye. I guess how that works is the science of it. 
And, um, and then you have to stay face down. I was face down for three weeks, either laying flat or with my face down so you eat like this. It was, couldn't work or anything else like that. And it's to keep this gas bubble to keep the retina attached to the, to the back of your eye so that it heals. And um, that was just, a, uh, I'd describe it as a rather unpleasant experience, but the result was worth the effort because um, it, it, today I can see it. If that would have happened 20 or 25 years ago, I would be blind in my right eye because of um, just the, the technology and the capabilities that we have. Well, um, I, I, I share all that to say those things were physical changes in my life that just gave me a different outlook. This guy went through just a tremendous thing when, when he said, uh, uh, here's how his life has changed. Well, let's go on. Let's continue on with the story. Um, can we go to the next slide? This starts, um, verses 13 through 34 in this story now starts the Inquisition. This is the largest text of this portion of Scripture, and it's, um, there's kind of interactive, and you'll see why it's in the Inquisition as we go on. So let's go on to the Scripture, and we'll continue on with the story. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because he was, uh, it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made his mud and, and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud on my eyes when I, was washed, and when I washed it away, I could see. Well, then some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? There was this deep, this deep division amongst them there. In other words, there was uh, no consensus. You see, this event caused a tremendous stir in the community. They didn't know how to reconcile this in their natural minds. Everyone was trying to figure out what was happening. And, and as human nature goes, everyone formed their own opinion. And they couldn't quite figure it out and come together as to what really happened here. So here in the story, the, the tension is building. Let's go on to verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The, ran, the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. A while back, several verses ago, he really didn't know anything about Jesus at all. And now it's slowly dawning on this beggar that there's something about this guy, Jesus, that is really different. And so he, he simply responds to, uh, to them that he must be a prophet or something sent from God. I'm not really sure. So then let's go on. The story continues, and the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man that had been blind and could now see. So what do they do next? They call in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? Well, his parents replied, well, we, don't, we know this is our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough. And his parents, this description goes on and says his parents um, said this because they were afraid that they'd get thrown out of church, that they'd be excommunicated at the time um, in the Jewish custom. If you, couldn't, you couldn't describe Jesus as the Messiah. You'd get, you'd get your membership revoked. Um, and so they were really cautious about that. And so they said, well, just ask our son. You know, he's old enough to talk for himself. So here we go. For the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and said... God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They have formed an opinion here, haven't they? That in their own minds, they just think that this is the standard. And the, and the man, again, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. 
See, what's happening here is, um, see, the peer pressure, they're turning up the heat. A second time, they, they demand this answer. What is going on with you? And again, the man comes back. And let's go to the next slide. And his answer is kind of the theme song of what we sang earlier today, this amazing grace. This song wasn't written when this, when this guy was alive, when this scripture text was. But we sang it earlier today. It could be my theme song. Maybe it's your theme song. This thing called amazing grace... Because we were blind, but now we can see. Not necessarily physically blind, but spiritually blind. You see, the only thing that qualifies me to be up here today is not my day job. It's not how long I've been a Christian. It's not anything else like that. It's simply because I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like you. I'm just walking along the way, just like you, on the way to encounter the life-changing reality of Christ and help others discover that as well. That's our road to heaven. I mean, that's what we're doing while we're here. Sure, we do day jobs and we're parents and we fulfill all these roles. But the reality is, is we're all on the journey helping one another along. And how we treat one another says more about what we believe and who we are than our many, many words. How we respond to Aaron and his family, how we respond to others who have been part of our church or not part of our church or go to another church or not are part of a church or anything like that. That's why I like this idea of friends with faith so much. It says more about who we believe, what we trust in, and how we really respond than, than anything else than we could ever say. There's no positive spin. There's none of that. This authenticity of what we're called to live as church, as believers, one another, is really an an important essence. And it's kind of captured in this song. I love this song. So, um, you know, what's interesting in the story, though, is this man keeps hearing the same questions over and over again. He didn't know how or why he was healed, but he knew his life had been miraculously changed. Um, There was no, there was nothing... um, um, miraculous about that what was cool was that he was willing to tell the truth about what happened to him he just simply was willing to convey that with all the pressure that kept they kept putting on him demanding well tell us what's going on what's the real story what's the rest of the story the man kept saying you know here's what i know i couldn't see now i can and that's the beauty of being a a friend with faith see we don't need to answer all the questions in order to share the love and presence with christ with others we can simply describe what he's done in my life, what he's done in your life. And when they say, well, how does all that happen? We can simply respond, you know, I don't know. But there is one element then that that is an important aspect of this, and that is then that we learn to trust the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who will then begin to start using our words and our actions and our responses to help others believe and encounter him too. Because that's the Father's desire, is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit draws all men to himself. And he's going to use people to do that, like you and like me. So, um, trusting the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on with the story. John 26, this is a great verse. If you have a Bible, you should mark it. If you don't, when you get home, you should mark it. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Uh, You know, the interesting thing about this is they're asking the wrong questions. Now, let's go to the next slide. The the key aspect of this for us spiritually is to learn how to ask the right questions. It's not about what. It's not about how. It's not about why. 
It's not even about when. It's about who. What's the source that God is doing in you? Who is that? Christ is a person, the Holy Spirit, this personal, this personal encounter. It's not, it's not some abstract thing. It's something that actually changes and transforms our lives. That's why we're different. That's why this man is different. It's understanding that. Um, I walk with, with several men in town that, and, and serve. I have the privilege of, of serving as a spiritual director with them. And that's just a fancy term that means that we walk together and we ask our, each other some questions. Because you know what? It's not about the answers. It's not about what we study together. It's not about necessarily what we're reading. It's about how we're encountering God. And so we, we tend to ask each other these probing questions to, to try to discover more deeply what God is doing about us. And, and I've learned something about that is it's not always about the answer or how somebody frames the answer. It's the discovery process that they go through as they consider who is at the source of their very lives. What, where's that coming from? So it's an important aspect here that, this, that uh, Jesus is trying to illustrate here. Let's, let's continue on. In John uh, 27, it picks up and he says, Look, the man explains, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Now he's sassing him. I mean, this guy's getting kind of frustrated here because he's kind of going over this again and again and again. And so he's pushing back. And he says, uh, do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, this guy says. He healed my eyes, and yet you didn't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. That's an important sentence there that you should really grab onto. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were from God, were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And then they say, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they throw him out of the synagogue. So here's the response that the guy gets for simply taking a step of faith in Christ. He's having a good day up until this point. You know, his life has changed. He can see. And now he's like thrown out of church for it. I mean, what's with that? Well, um, he's, uh, he's kind of pushing back on some things. Can you imagine what this guy is going on? What's going on in this guy's brain? Um, he gets his vision for the very first time. I, I can imagine there's a lot of stimulation going on there to see some things for real, to put all with what he's imagined them to be. Yet the Pharisees wanted to deny that. They downplayed the miracle because it didn't fit inside their set of rules, their box. It says they cursed him, trying to belittle him, trying to shame him, trying to peer pressure him, bringing him on to what they want. And, and so what do they do? Well, they just respond very humanly. They cursed him. They tried to shame him, ridicule him. Well, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever done that? You know, our, our self-preservation these days is um, something that, that I think we need to repent of, that we need to ask forgiveness for because we're so quick to throw people under the bus. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, we're so quick to judge somebody when it doesn't meet kind of our criteria. It doesn't meet the matrix that we're trying to figure something out in. So it doesn't, so we just kind of, we just cast them aside or we throw them under the bus. I had a situation happen recently. I, my wife and I went on vacation and, and uh, we were, uh, at work, we were producing a newsletter, and it wasn't done. So uh, while I was on vacation, I was doing some editing of it electronically and um, to, to get it done, and, and we got it done. So when I got back from vacation, it was produced. It got back from the printer, 
And then it was, um, it was in our offices, but then it sat there for four days without going out. Now, I was a little hot. I was miffed. And I wanted to throw somebody under the bus because it didn't happen. I mean, here I was. I worked while I was on vacation. Um, didn't really want to do that. And they're encouraging me, yeah, go on, take vacation. And then I'm still working. And, uh, and I come back after all that, and then it sits there. Now, the first thing I had to realize is nobody's holding their breath waiting for our newsletter. I know it's unfortunate. It, it's not, not something I wish would happen, but, you know, in the larger scheme of things, it's just probably not all that important on the, on the spiritual scale meter. So instead of throwing somebody under the bus, which was my natural human reaction, um, I prayed. And also, the Lord gave me the weekend to think about it, which was helpful. That was timely. Um, and Monday, I just brought the staff together and said, let's just analyze why this happened so that it doesn't happen again. And guess, you know where the problem was? Well, it was with me. I was the slow point. So if anybody should have gotten thrown under the bus, it was me. But I don't like pushing myself under there very much, so I try not to do that. But the idea is, as we look and see that perspective, why are we so quick to judge when it doesn't finish that? What it takes is a little bit more trust in relation to that. So um, this, uh, this whole aspect of, of how we respond is really important. And, and you know what I think was cool here is... Um, this man was not even a follower of Christ yet at this point. He had just been miraculously touched, but he wasn't really a believer. And the key point in this, in this text of Scripture is, is um, the explanation that God opens ears to those who, who worship him and who do his will. It's amazing how God avails himself to us as we, as we just really follow him and trust him. Well, in verse 34, the, the, the scene ends just much like it began in verse 13. It ends poorly. Um, they're shouting at him. They're calling this guy names. They're trying to intimidate the poor guy, and then they throw him out. And, uh, you know, I'm just asking, Lord Jesus, help us that we don't respond that same way when something miraculous happens to people, when something good happens to people, but it doesn't fit our rationale or it doesn't fit our plan. Just help us, help us with that. And, and here's a simple life lesson. Um, I mentioned it a little bit before, how we treat one another is really... Um, probably the best definition of our faith than anything else that we can say. Well, let's finish up. Act 3 then is, uh, so we went through, the, we went through the, the, the incident, we saw the inquisition, all the questions going back and forth, and now here's the, really the payoff, it's the insight. Let's, let's look at the scripture. When Jesus heard that what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? Because I want to believe in him. This, this beggar is still trying to get some frame of reference here. And Jesus simply says, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. This is, um, this is the most beautiful part, I think, of this whole story, is how this all unfolds. Well, let's go to the next slide, because here's what happens. Each of us is confronted with a life-changing question. Somewhere along your road, you have to address this issue. Do you believe in the Messiah? If you are ever to have a spiritual encounter with Christ, you're going to address this question. Let's go on to the next one. Here's how this man responded. He had a life-altering response. Four profound words. Yes, Lord, I believe. You, you see, he didn't have to go to Wikipedia 
He didn't have to search the internet. It was a simple response with his words. Yes, Lord, I believe. And then what's so profound about this short little text is his actions. For the very first time, he experienced worship as he turned to worship Jesus. In a flash, his spiritual blindness was gone and he could clearly see this living Christ through this encounter that he experienced. So I think the takeaway for us here is it's not just in our words, but it's in our response and our action. And the question is, how are you responding? As Jesus reveals himself to you on the common everyday aspects, maybe it's not, he's, he's maybe not healing you from your infirmities, but, but how, are you, how are you responding when, when you really encounter him? You see, when we turn to Christ, we, we begin to see him differently. There is this clarity that starts to come to us that is indescribable. The Apostle Peter in, in, in 2 Peter 3 tells us to grow in the special favor and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it's really pretty simple. If, if we want to know him more, if we want to know more about God, if we want to experience this encounter, we need to continually walk with him. We need to open our lives to him. We need to participate with him. Let's go on. We'll just finish up here. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they are, uh, that they, um, that they see that they are blind. Um, Jesus is referring back here, if you remember in, in verse five, where he talks about being light and illumination. He's again um, amplifying that. And in essence, he's sharing the gospel in a nutshell with the man here. He talks about his purpose for coming. And reveals it to this man just in this short little sentence. And then some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? And, uh, and then he says, Well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. The, the, the moral of the story is, um, is that some are going to get it and some aren't. This man um, had a profound encounter with the living Christ and, and his physical blindness was changed and his spiritual blindness was changed. He, he had a revelation. He had an understanding of Christ. Um, this, the, the Pharisees at this point still didn't get it. You know, I mentioned um, this, this vision thing that I've been going through when I had my retina fixed. Um, they're now correcting my vision with um, contact lenses, but one set of lenses doesn't completely correct my vision so I have to wear readers and I have to wear different sets of lenses in order to, to really see it again and and so well, here's what's happening in my brain I used to have my right eye was my dominant eye um, so when I played golf or or you know go to focus on things it was always my right eye that was dominant well that was my bad eye now so my brain is reprogramming itself to train itself to, to depend on my left eye my good eye to be the dominant eye and there's a lot of thick stuff up in my up in my CPU here, see, so it's taken a while to be able to do that. Sometimes it really kind of screws me up because I can't quite still see really clearly. So I'm not sure of all that's going on up there, but I know that I'm trying to work on this focus. You know, what's dawning on me is the spiritual application of this whole lesson, and, and it's much like, I think, our spiritual vision, where we tend to start to see things spiritually one way, and then something changes a little bit. And I'm wondering if the spiritual application for us this morning is, is um, 
is that God would have us start to depend and trust on Him more and His power and His presence than on what we physically see or what we personally want to judge. I think the application for us here then, hopefully the takeaway for us, is that we um, align ourselves with an awareness for what God is doing. We look for that continually and we walk in a common experience with that. Let's pray together. Father, today as we, as we go from this place, my prayer would be that we would simply encounter you, whether it's on the way out, maybe it's with the people that we're sitting with, maybe it's the people that we work with tomorrow, uh, or we go to school with tomorrow, or that we're traveling with, or, or wherever that you would, would tend to lead us. I, I think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, where I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in all the saints throughout the earth. Would you bring this about in our lives and in our hearts, Lord? If we're spiritually blind, would you bring a clarity, a sense of your purpose and revelation to um, that which you want us to see? Lord, if we're seeing clearly, can we not depend just on our, our personal vision and our sense of clarity, but release ourselves to really respond to you, that regardless of the circumstance in today or in the coming days, we would experience and enjoy a powerful personal encounter with you and your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, um, I know we're a little over, but there's going to be some really friendly people up here to pray with you. If you have an infirmity or something that you'd like to be prayed for today, I promise we won't spread mud on your eyes. But we will pray for you because we know and understand the power of healing prayer. And I want you to do one other thing as you're going out on your encounter with God is say hello to somebody that's sitting around you or that you haven't met before. Just be a friend with faith right now as we, as we depart this place because you never know that might be the very encounter that God wants you to have. God bless you this week. Have a great week.